Mildred Lawson, Chapter Thirteen of Celibates by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. It was not until the spring was far advanced that the nostalgia of the boulevards began to creep into her life. Then, without intermission, the desire to get away grew more persistent. At last she could think of nothing else. Harold oppressed her. But Mrs. Fargus was not in France. She could not live alone. But why could she not live alone? Although she asked herself this question, Mildred felt that she could not live alone in Paris. But she must go to Paris. But with whom? Not with Elsie or Sissy. They both had studios in London. Moreover, they were not quite the girls she would like to live with. They were very well as studio friends. Mildred thought she might hire a chaperone. That would be very expensive. And for the solution of her difficulty, Mildred sought in vain until one day, in the National Gallery, Miss Brand suggested that they should go to Paris together. Miss Brand had told Mildred how she had begun life as a musician. When she was thirteen, she had followed Rubinstein from London to Birmingham, from Birmingham to Manchester, and then to Liverpool. Her parents did not know what had become of her. Afterwards she studied counterpoint and harmony with Rubinstein in St. Petersburg, and also with von Bülow in Leipzig. But she had given up music for journalism. Her specialty was musical criticism, to which, having been thrown a good deal with artists, she had added art criticism. Mildred could help her with her art criticism. She thought they'd get on very well together. She would willingly share the expenses of a little flat. Mildred was fascinated by the project. If she could possibly get Harold to agree. He must agree. He would raise many objections. But that did not matter. She was determined. And at the end of the month, Mildred and Miss Brand left for Paris. They had decided that for fifteen hundred or two thousand francs a year they could find an apartment that would suit them, five or six rooms within easy reach of the studio, and leaning back in their cab discussing the advantages or disadvantages of the apartment they had seen, they grew conscious of their intimacy, and Mildred rejoiced in the freedom of her life. Their only trouble was the furnishing. Mildred did not like to ask Harold for any more money, and credit was difficult to obtain. But even this difficulty was surmounted, and they found an upholsterer who agreed to furnish the apartment they had taken in the Rue Hauteville for five thousand francs, payable in monthly installments. To have to pay five hundred francs every month would keep them very short of money for the first year, but that could not be helped they would get on somehow, and the first dinner in the half-furnished dining-room, with the white porcelain stove in the corner, seemed to them the most delicious they had ever tasted. Josephine, their servant, was certainly an excellent cook, and so obliging, they could find no fault with her. But the upholsterer was dilatory, and days elapsed before he brought the chairs that were to match the sofa. Nearly every piece of drapery was hung separately, and they had given up hope of the etagere and the girandole. 
For a long while a grand piano was their principal piece of furniture. Though she never touched it, Miss Brand could not live without a grand piano. What's the use, she'd say. I've only to open the score to remember, to hear Rubinstein play the passage. When they were tout à fait bien installés, they had friends to dinner, and they were especially proud of Monsieur Deveau's company. Mildred liked this large, stout man. There was something strangely winning in his manner. A mystery seemed to surround him, and it was impossible not to wish to penetrate this mystery. Besides, was he not their master, the lord of the studio? Though a large, fat man, none of more elusive, more difficult to realize, harder to get on terms of intimacy with. These were temptations which appealed to Mildred, and she had determined on his subduction. But the wily southerner had read her through. Those little brown eyes of his had searched the bottom of her soul, and with pleasant smiles and engaging courtesies he had answered all her coquetries. But the difficulty of conquest only whetted her appetite for victory, and she might even have pursued her quest with ridiculous attentions if accident had not made known to her the fact that Monsieur Deveau was not only the lover of another lady in the studio, but that he loved her to the perfect exclusion of every other woman. Mildred's face darkened between the eyes. A black little cloud of hatred appeared and settled there. She invented strange stories about Monsieur Deveau, and it surprised her that Monsieur Deveau took no notice of her calumnies. She desired above all things to annoy the large mysterious southerner who had resisted her attractions, who had preferred another, and who now seemed indifferent to anything she might say about him. But Monsieur Deveau was only biding his time, and when Mildred came to renew her subscription to the studio, he told her that he was very sorry but that he could not accept her any longer as a pupil. Mildred asked for the reason. Monsieur Deveau smiled sweetly, enigmatically, and answered that he wished to reduce the number of ladies in his studio. There were too many. Expulsion from the studio made shipwreck of her life in Paris. There was no room in the flat in which she could paint. She had spent all her money and could not afford to hire a studio. She took lessons in French and music and began a novel, and when she wearied of her novel she joined another studio, a ladies' class. But Mildred did not like women. The admiration of men was the breath of her nostrils. With a difference, men were her life as much as they were Elsie's. She pined in this new studio. It grew hateful to her, and she spoke of returning to England. But Miss Brand said that one of these days she would meet Monsieur Deveau, that he would apologize if he had offended her, and that all would be made right. For Mildred had given Miss Brand to understand that Monsieur Deveau had made love to her. Then she said that he had tried to kiss her, and that it would be unpleasant for her to meet him again. And her story had been accepted as the true one by the American and English girls. The other students had assumed that Miss Lawson had given up painting, 
or had taken a holiday. So she had got herself out of her difficulty very cleverly, and she listened complacently to Miss Brand's advice. There was something in what Nellie said. If she were to meet Monsieur Deveau, she felt she could talk him over. But she did not know if she could bring herself to try after what had happened. She hated him, and the desire, as she put it, to get even with him often rose up in her heart. At last she caught sight of him in the Louvre. He was looking at a picture on the other side of the gallery, and she crossed over so that he could see her. He bowed and was about to pass on, but Mildred insisted, and, responding to the question why he had refused her subscription, he said, I think I told you at the time that I found myself obliged to reduce the number of pupils, but tell me, are you copying here? One doesn't learn anything from copying. Won't you allow me to come back? I don't see how I can. There are so many ladies at present in the studio. I hear that some have left. Mademoiselle Burge has left, hasn't she? Yes, she has left. If Mademoiselle Berge has left, there is no reason why I should not return. Monsieur Deveau did not answer. He smiled satirically and bade her good-bye. Mildred hated him more than ever, but when a subscription was started by the pupils to present him with a testimonial, she did not neglect to subscribe. The presentation took place in the studio. I think this is an occasion to forget our differences, he said, when he had finished his speech. If you wish to return, you'll find my studio open to you. And to show that he wished to let bygones be bygones, he often came and helped her with her drawing. He seemed to take an interest in her, and she tried to lead him on. But one day she discovered that she did not deceive him, and again she began to hate him. But remembering the price of her past indiscretions, she refrained, and the matter was forgotten in another of more importance. Miss Brand suddenly fell out of health and was obliged to return to England. Then the little flat became too expensive for Mildred. She let it and went to live in a boarding-house on the other side of the water where Sissy was staying. But at the end of the first quarter Mildred thought the neighborhood did not suit her, and she went to live near St. Augustine. She remained there till the autumn, till Elsie came over, and then she went to Elsie's boarding-house. Elsie returned to England in the spring, and Mildred wandered from boarding-house to boarding-house. She took a studio and spent a good deal of money on models, frames, and costumes. But nothing she did satisfied her, and after various failures she returned to Devos, convinced that she must improve her drawing. She was, moreover, determined to put her talent to the test of severe study. She got to the studio every morning at eight. She worked there till five. As she did not know how to employ her evenings, she took Monsieur Devos' advice and joined his night class. For three months she bore the strain of these long days easily, but the fourth month pressed heavily upon her, and in the fifth month she was a mere mechanism. She counted the number of heads more correctly than she used to. She was more familiar with the proportions of the human figure. Alas, her drawing was no better. It was blacker, harder, less alive, 
and to drag her weariness all the way along the boulevards seemed impossible that foul-smelling studio repelled her from afar the prospect of the eternal model a man with his hand on his hip a woman leaning one hand on a stool frightened her and her blackened drawing that would not move out of its insipid ugliness tempted her no more with false hopes mildred paused in her dressing it seemed that she could not get her clothes on she had to sit down to rest tears welled up in her eyes and in the midst of much mental and physical weakness the maid knocked at her door and handed her a letter it was from elsie dearest mildred here we are again in barbizon painting in the day and dancing in the evening there are a nice lot of fellows here one or two very clever ones i have already picked up a lot of hints how we did waste our time in that studio square brushwork drawing by the masses what rot i suppose you have abandoned it all long ago sissy is here she has thrown over hopwood blunt for good and all she is at present much interested in a division of the tones man a clever fellow but not nearly so good-looking as mine the inn stands in a large garden and we dine and walk after dinner under the trees and watch the stars come out there's a fellow here who might interest you his painting would even if he failed to respond to the gentle platonism of your flirtations the forest too would interest you it is an immense joy i'm sure you want change of air life here is very cheap only five francs room and meals breakfast and dinner and everything included except coffee mildred rejoiced in the prospect of escape from the studio and her life quickened at the thought of the inn with its young men its new ideas the friends the open air and the great forest that elsie described as an immense joy there was no reason why she should not go at once that very day and the knowledge that she could thus peremptorily decide her life was in itself a pleasure which she would not have dispensed with there were difficulties in the way of clothes she wanted some summer dresses it would be difficult to get all she wanted before four o'clock she would have to get the things ready-made others she could have sent after her muslins trimmings hats stockings shoes and sunshades occupied mildred all the morning and she only just got to the gare de lyon in time to catch the four o'clock train elsie's letter gave explicit directions she was not to go to fontainebleau she was to book to melun that was the nearest station there she would find an omnibus waiting which would take her to barbizon or if she did not mind the expense she could take a fly which would be pleasanter and quicker end of mildred lawson chapter thirteen recording by james carson